and they didn't want to send it flying. So I called them out on being reluctant sheep, but they are fully part of the fold. So my apologies. <laughs> Let us hear now a good word from our teacher, Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text, and will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is much to say about this parable. We could talk about the obvious gospel bits. It is better to be a repentant sinner than a sanctimonious saint. We could also talk about the sly trap concealed right in plain sight. How easy it is to make a fool of oneself by responding to the parable with a variation of the Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like that pious stooge who thanked you that he was not like those stooges. We could even talk about the spare beauty of the tax man's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yes, there is much to say about the parable itself but I can't seem to get past the first line that gives us a sliver of context for Jesus' teaching. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Which is to say, he told this parable precisely to the people who needed to hear it. For the last several weeks, I have been gathering on Thursday nights with a small group of church members to talk and pray our way through the Gospel of Luke. 
There is nothing quite like studying scripture in community. And each week I walk away amazed by the insight and inspiration I gain from the other participants. And each week I walk away a little more in love with Jesus. His wisdom, his mercy, his capacity to amaze and bewilder, reconcile and fulfill. And throughout the gospel, he is always tossing out parables precisely calibrated to the crowd of the moment. It's as though he is a master shoe salesman who needs only to glance at a man's foot to know which size and style of loafer will suit him best. Or a gifted interior designer who takes in a dining room and suggests just the right shade of white to capture the light in the hours before dusk. Jesus beholds the condition of his listeners' souls and proceeds accordingly. I like to believe that the risen Christ still has a knack for meeting people where they are and slipping just the lessons we need into our pockets, like a reverse pickpocket tucking $100 bills into the purses of unsuspecting commuters. There were some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And these people happened to encounter Jesus. Our perceptive savior peered into their hypocritical hearts and spun a tale of two men praying in a temple. One is righteous, and the other is self-righteous. I'm reminded of the Samaritan who was compassionate when the priest and the Levite were not. The desperate wretch who aroused contempt in the heart of the Pharisee is the one who departs from the temple justified. It was just the story those people needed to hear. And, my friends, I am a little horrified to confess that it is just the story I needed to hear. I told you that the risen Christ still has a knack for meeting people where they are. Is there a $100 bill in my pocket? No. no. Nope. You must understand that I did not choose this text. I often submit to the guidance of the common lectionary because I cherish contemplating the same holy scriptures as Christians throughout the world. So over the summer, when it was time for me to map out my preaching plans, I plugged in a lot of common lectionary gospel readings. And when it was time to crack open my Bible and start mapping out this particular sermon, I found myself a little underwhelmed. It's not that there's anything wrong with this story, it just seems a little basic. Where's the heat in this teaching? The heat was in my own burning cheeks 
when I finally realized that our perceptive savior was peering into my own hypocritical heart. Rude, Jesus, rude. Here's the story. It starts in 2020. It's tricky to recall the early days of the pandemic because each of us experienced it so differently. For some, it was a perplexing inconvenience. For others, a catastrophic trauma. As for me, I found that time mildly soul-crushing. My vocation as I knew it disintegrated. My fancy sabbatical plans were yanked away. I wanted to be faithful, but spent an enormous amount of energy repressing despair so I could function, even barely, as a pastor and a parent. And then everything changed. On February 1st, 2021, I began my deferred and reconfigured sabbatical. Instead of Paris, we went to Galena. Instead of the French Riviera, we vacationed in Alabama. And it was glorious. I read, I walked, I prayed. And slowly but surely, I started to feel whole again, restored in body, mind, and spirit. Even after the three months of sabbatical renewal, the healing continued with my transformative Doctor of Ministry program and a few additional trips and experience funded by that generous sabbatical grant. And, at long last, the right medication to quell my anxiety. I find myself now in the odd position of being more content, joyful, and fulfilled than at any other point in my life. It's like Oprah was right about your 40s. This is an odd position to be in because a recent study revealed that as many as 51% of pastors are so burned out, they have seriously considered leaving ministry permanently. I certainly see this playing out in my own network of clergy colleagues. Several of my friends have resigned their positions and countless more speak of intense burnout and desolation. I know this is not limited to clergy, but that is the community in which I do see it. No, I have not openly thanked God that I am not like those pastors or smugly reminded God of how I've been resolute in my pursuit of physical, mental, and spiritual health. I do not feel contempt for my peers. But have I had fleeting thoughts about how so-and-so might not be so depleted if they just followed my lead? Yes, I have. And my self-righteousness is just as gross as the Pharisees. The fact of the matter is this. The transformation I experienced in this past season is a gift from God. It is not a thing I made happen. It is a blessing I received. Or rather, a constellation of blessings. It's all grace. 
all of it. I think the same can be said of the Pharisee. There's nothing terribly wrong with his actual life. It's swell that he is a good chap with a fierce commitment to the law and an untarnished reputation. It's just that he seems to think he is responsible for all the goodness in his life. He lifts up what he has done to God. He trusts in himself that he is righteous and regards others with contempt. He exalts himself rather than exalting the God from whom all blessings flow. As C.S. Lewis says, the roof of a greenhouse shines brightly because the sun shines on it. So I'm afraid to tell you that Jesus might not be done being rude. I named my own weakness revealed by this passage, and in good conscience, I can't stop before I name our own shared weakness. The members and friends of First Congregational Church of Western Springs tend to be a bit proud of our church. We know that a lot of churches are declining, and we know that we are thriving. Even if we haven't reclaimed our full pre-pandemic vitality, all things considered, we're doing remarkably well. We could easily be tempted to pat ourselves on the back, commending our generosity and greatness. But again, this church is not a thing we made happen. It is a blessing we receive. Everything we have is a gift. It's all grace, all of it. We can and should love this church, but we must do so with humble hearts, exalting God, not First Congo. As for each of you as individuals, if you are bold enough to consider which of your own weaknesses might be revealed by this passage, I am sure Jesus would be more than happy to continue his rude awakenings. Perhaps you too find yourself convicted of a little covert self-righteousness. Or maybe you have a head start. Maybe you relate more to the tax collector who is wise enough to understand that he must instead call upon the mercy of God. But at the end of the day, I suspect it does not matter much if we are a Pharisee or a tax collector. What matters is that we all call upon the mercy of God to forgive our sin. What matters is that we regard our neighbors with compassion, not contempt. What matters is that we gasp in recognition of our utter and complete dependence on God. Friends, it is beyond foolish for any of us to believe the lie of self-sufficiency or the fiction of self-justification 
Life is contingent. To exist is to need breath, bread, water, love. How can we give ourselves credit for our successes when our mere presence is created and subsidized by our creator, God? Maybe the kingdom of God is like this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of the men began beating his breast and crying out to the Lord in pain. The other man paused his own quiet prayer and went to the side of the weeping man. He offered the solace of a human embrace. And after a few moments of sighs too deep for words, the men prayed together. Thank you for your mercy, O oh God. Thank you for your grace. May it be so. Amen.